Hey, how's it going, Stone Creek? Y'all feeling good this morning? Come on. Y'all happy to be in church today? Let's go. What an awesome day it's been already. If we haven't got the chance to meet yet, uh, my name's Sean, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm excited to dive into the Word of God today. But before I do, I just got to ask, did everybody have a good 4th of July? Come on. I hope your 4th of July was full of fireworks and hot dogs and all things Merca, and it was awesome. Um, I don't know what you did for the 4th of July, but um, me, I have a, a very unique, uh, I should say, experience every 4th of July. So um, on the 4th of July, I go down to um, St. George Island in Florida. My parents have a house there. And St. George Island does the 4th of July in a very weird unique, different way. So what happens is someone at some point had this idea that they would have a 4th of July parade, right? So, you're, you know, you're thinking of what you, your conceptions of a parade are. Cool, get rid of those because this is not what that is, okay? Um, when, when we think of parade, like I think like Macy's Day Parade, you know, some floats and some, you know, elegance. That is not at all what happens here. What happens is thousands of people come to this island and line the streets, which are not many, um, all over the place on this island. And then there is this parade full of floats, floats being pickup trucks with trailers attached to them, okay? And on these trailers, there are like hundreds of gallons of water uh, and with people with water guns ready to spray everybody in the crowd. And all the thousands of people in the crowd also have water guns. So basically, it is a two-hour water war where you're wearing American flags and squirting kids in the face with ice-cold water. What more American can we get? Amen? I actually have a picture just to, so you understand what. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that, that's, that's where I was. And as I was standing on the back of a, a pickup truck, getting sprayed in the face with ice cold water by a five-year-old, all I could think to myself was, man, I'm really excited to close out the Resilience Series this Sunday. So... <laughs> Uh, man, I'm really excited to dive into Resilient. We have been in this series for the last uh, 12 weeks. This is week 13, and it has been awesome. We've been walking verse by verse through the books of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And so before I dive into where we're concluding today, I want to give you a two-minute recap with the overall picture of every message that uh, we've heard over the last 12 weeks. So uh, here we go. First one is 1 Peter 1. We talked about how we are exiles on our way to eternity. And what that means is that this world is not our home, amen? And because it's not our home, we live by a different hope. See, our hope is a living hope. And we live in light of eternity. Now, we were reminded that suffering is normal. Suffering's normal. So we can't be surprised when suffering comes into our lives because it's promised in Scripture. You know, we, were told, we were reminded that God is good. He is always good. He always will be good. And circumstances don't control his goodness. We talked about how time is short. And so we need to live today in light of eternity, which we'll be diving more into in just a second. We talked about how missions is our calling and that when the gospel advances, suffering will follow. We talked about how our posture should be humility. Humility is our posture. And in our relationship with Jesus, surrender should be the posture that we long to take. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the gospel is God's great promise. And the gospel means good news. It is the promise that we live by that God comes through. We talked about how when we open the Bible, God opens his mouth. And so in just a second, when we open the word of God, we believe that God is going to long to speak to us. And we talked about how God fiercely protects his people from false teachers just a couple weeks ago. 
And today we're going to be closing out the series. In this series, we called it Resilient. And we called it Resilient because we believe that we need to learn how to be resilient disciples who stand firm in the midst of chaos in our culture. We need to learn how to push back darkness in the name of Jesus with the light and the hope of the gospel. And we've been asking ourselves this question. Am I prepared for when the storm is going to come? Notice I said when the storm is going to come, not if the storm is going to come. I wish I could say if, but it's not an if. And like we said, suffering does happen. And so are we prepared when the storm will come. As we've been walking through this series, we've been addressing that and and talking about that because the reality is, is just because this series is ending today, doesn't mean the battle's over. It actually is probably just beginning and it's a battle that is daily. And so we have to continually remind ourselves of the hope that comes in the person of Jesus. What I'm excited about is I get to preach the last uh, part of this, which I believe to be the ace of spades. Man, it is the trump card. It is the cheat sheet to hope that we can look to and be reminded that it is worth trusting in Jesus, no matter the circumstances that are around us. And the premise, the overall picture of 2 Peter 3 that we're going to be diving into is this. We walk in a living hope rooted in a king who is coming back. We walk in a living hope rooted in a king who is coming back. Amen. Let's go ahead and dive into verse 1. 1 Peter 3, verse 1 says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. So off the bat, he confirms their identity. He's talking to followers of Jesus who in the eyes of God are loved, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Man, if you're anything like me and you've started to read the Bible, maybe for the first time or dive a little bit deeper, uh, maybe the Old Testament is intimidating for you right? Maybe you're like, well, why am I reading this? All the lovey good stuff is in the New Testament. It's where Jesus is. I'm just going to read the New Testament, right? Well, what what Peter is saying right here is, no, 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 it's so important for us to have a comprehension and an understanding of the Old Testament because it's where the prophets and the law all point to the coming of the person of Jesus. And so for us to fully understand the significance of Jesus coming, we got to understand what God promises about him coming in the Old Testament. Testament. So if you've never read it, man, I, I really encourage you to get, download the Bible app, go through a plan and figure out what the Old Testament says about the person of Jesus. Continues in verse three, Peter says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Church, we are living in the last days. We are living in the last days. When I say that, what I'm not saying is like four horsemen or that AI is leading to the apocalypse or something. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that every day that goes forward from the time that Jesus resurrected from the grave and ascended back to heaven is one day closer from our King returning. It's one day closer from Jesus to come back. 
I mean, we should want for him to come back, shouldn't we? Like, think about it. When he comes back, there's no more mortgages, amen? No more bills. Like, there's no more hurting. There's no more pain. There's no more division. There's no more elections. Praise God, right? Like, there's no, there's, it's good. It's a great thing. We want for our king to come back as followers of Jesus. But often what happens is because he hasn't yet returned, is we begin to lose sight or lose hope in the fact that he will. I mean, I think for a lot of us, uh, because Jesus hasn't returned, we've taken our eye off the promise that he will. And so uh, him returning has become this far off, distant fairy tale instead of the present reality that we walk in every day. And so what I think Peter is charging us with and what we need to be encouraged and challenged by is to reset our vision this morning. Peter, he writes to, uh, to the group that he's writing to, it's only 30 years after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. 30 years after he said, hey, I will be back. You will see me again. Now I want for you to imagine for a second how like anxious the early church had to be waiting for him to come back. Because he didn't say, hey, I'll be back in a few thousand years. He said, I'm gonna be back. It'd be like this. Imagine you were in the car and, you're, and you were driving to Disney World and your five-year-old was like, we there yet? Are we there yet? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna be there. We're gonna be there. And then all of a sudden they're 35 years old with a mortgage and three kids of your own and they're not at Disney World, right? You'd be, you'd be questioning the promise, wouldn't you? Right? And in this moment, the people of God, they're asking, wait, wait, I put my full faith and trust in Jesus and he hasn't come back yet like he said he would. So they were losing hope that he was who he said he was. And maybe you find yourself there this morning and if you do, you're not alone. For, for generations, the church has been asking these two questions. Where is Jesus and why hasn't he come back? Where is Jesus and why hasn't he come back? Luckily, Peter uh, talks about the answer to these questions starting in verse five. He says, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. See, what Peter's saying right here is that God is God and we are not. Right? God is a perfect creator. Think about it for a second. From the beginning of time, first of all, God created time. So let's talk about that, right? God, from the beginning of time, he formed the earth from water. Man, he came up with the concept of gravity. So we're not just floating around everywhere, right? Like God, he placed the earth in the perfect space, uh, in space, not too close to the sun where we would all burn up and not too far away where we would all freeze, but in the only place where life would be able to sustain. And we question his timing? I don't even know what I had for breakfast yesterday. Like, oh, if I wasn't on the screen, I, I couldn't tell you the color shirt that I was wearing right now, you know? And I'm the one who questions God about his timing. Peter's saying, no, 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 no. We need to learn our role in this. It's not to ask when Jesus is coming back. It's to ask, what do we do in the meantime? How do we walk? I mean, Peter says this in verse 8. He says, but do not overlook this one fact. Do not overlook this one fact. Do not overlook it. Beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. 
time is different with God. And time, it's different in his perception. There's this theologian named uh, Charles Spurgeon who's awesome, and he has this great quote on this. It says, all things are equally near and present to his view. The distance of a thousand years before the occurrence of an event is no more to him than it would be the interval of a day. With God, indeed, there is neither past, present, nor future. He takes for his name the I am. He is the I am. I am in the present. I am in the past. And I am in the future. Just as we say of God that he is everywhere, so we we may say of him that he is always. He is everywhere in space. He is everywhere in time. And Peter is saying that we cannot overlook the fact that time is different with Jesus. So we can't count days because God's not counting days. Verse nine, he continues, he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. So he's not slow. So what is he? He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And patience, he says, patience. Patience for us looks like not asking, hey, when's Jesus coming back? When's Jesus coming back? When's Jesus coming back? But instead beginning to live like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. That's the way that we should walk in this. See, the heart of God is for lost people. The heart of God is for those who don't know Jesus yet. And see, the heart of God should lead us to repentance. And God, he's he's a patient God. And I know that a lot of us, we want for Jesus to come back. And listen, we should, right? Like I said, we should. It would be a great thing for him to. But I want for you to think about how broken the world is for a second. I want for you to think about how many of your neighbors don't know the Lord. Think about how much of your family doesn't follow Jesus. Think about the nations all across the world who have never heard the gospel. And then ask yourself this question, if God was to come back today, what would happen to those people? Could it be that God is patient in his grace? And could it be that God in his grace is patient and waiting for us to take the mission he's put on our lives a little bit more seriously. Could it be that if we were to actually live in the great commission that Stephen read earlier, his last words, to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, to teach them what Jesus told us to observe. Could it be if we actually live that way, then Jesus would come back a lot sooner because heaven would be more crowded than it would be if he came today? Could it be we just need to begin to walk the way that Jesus wants God, I mean, he's a patient God. And a lot of us, we want his patience sometimes, but, but not all the time, you know? Like we want his patience when it comes to our sin. We love that patience. But we hate his patience when he's patient in the midst of our suffering. We want his patience and when we're battling addiction and we're like, God, yeah, just give me a, a little bit of time and I'll get out of this. But we hate his patience when we ask for blessings and he waits to give them to us. But I want for you to know something about the patience of God. It's good, and it's not in our timing. And praise God it isn't, because even in the midst of his timing, his timing is better than ours, and he will give when he needs to. See, the first thing for us to live resilient in the midst of this, resilience is trusting in the patience of God. Resilience is trusting in the patience of God. And that's the first part about it. We need to be patient. But the second part was this repentance part, 
right? When lost people experience Jesus, they, they're called to repent. And as we start, continue to follow Jesus, the call to repentance doesn't go away. It, it stays. And so many of us, you know, we need to repent from some things that we've become comfortable with because the gospel, man, it calls for repentance. And I'll remind you of the four points that we like to say around here. There's a God and he is good. And in his goodness, he longs for relationship with all of us. But there's a problem and it's sin. And sin separates us from our father for eternity. And there's nothing on our own we can do to get back to him. But luckily there's a hope and his name is Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for us and resurrected from the grave. So the veil could be torn and we could live in relationship with the father once again. And so this response is our lives, our lives, not our half selves, not what's comfortable, our lives. And for some of us, we're still on the edge and we need to fully repent to step fully in with Jesus. See, repentance might be uncomfortable, but repentance is a gift. And some of us need to receive that gift today. When Peter continues in verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for the hastening that comes of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly being, bodies will melt as they burn. And what does this mean? First of all, he talks about that Jesus isn't going to come back in a way we expect him to. He isn't going to come back at a time that we expect him to come back. He's going to come back like a thief. And another part of scripture says he's going to come back like a thief in the night. See, I think a lot of us uh, live like we expect for God to just form all the clouds together in the sky and put a three-day countdown in the sky and say, all right, you got three days to get right. Go, right? And then Jesus will be back. But unfortunately, that's not how this goes, right? Jesus he comes back in a timing that only God knows. He comes back like a thief in the night. And so we can't become complacent with the things that aren't of God, right? We got to be able to evaluate our lives and say, hey, God, what in my life needs to be evaluated in light of eternity? Some of us, when we're battling a secret sin right now, and we're really good at hiding. Like our spouse doesn't know, our kids don't know, our coworkers don't know, but we know, but even we forget sometimes because that's how good at hiding this darkness we know in our life is. But what scripture says is the day that Jesus comes back, guess what? You can't hide anymore. It'll all be exposed. The word he uses is exposed. It's put out in front of everyone. And so what if... It would be better to deal with that secret sin now, even if it's a little painful, even if it's a little uncomfortable, than to wait until Jesus exposes it in front of everyone. And maybe your call today is to evaluate the sin that you've been walking in and become too comfortable and complacent with. And then he talks about this. There's this part in this scripture that, that talks about how the heaven, heavenly bodies, the earth will be burned up and dissolved. Well, what does that mean? That's a great question. I'll answer it, okay? What does that mean? Well, I love this one quote um, that I found on verse 11. It says, the world, so far as we know, will cease to be. It will pass through the purifying flame and that it may be the soft 
and gentle breath of almighty love that will blow upon it and cool it rapidly. And the divine hand will shape it as it cools into paradise. So there comes this moment where the earth will go through a purifying flame so that we can get back to the original intention of paradise dwelling and walking with God. um, It reminds me a lot, this this part of the scripture, of the first week that we started out the Resilience Series when we were going through 1 Peter 1. Because in 1 Peter 1, verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, in this moment, Peter starts out by saying, hey, we're gonna go through trials. We're gonna go through suffering. We're gonna walk through purifying flames in our life. These tests that God is gonna allow us to walk through so that if we walk through them in Jesus, on the other side, we'll be more refined, we'll be more like Jesus. And in the same way, when Jesus comes back, the earth is going to go through a purifying flame. So at the end, we will look more like Jesus and dwell in perfection and harmony with God. It'll be total transformation. Total transformation. There will be no more disease. There will be no more sickness. There'll be no more hurting. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more people who go to 10, person, 10 item checkout lines with 15 items, right? There'll be no more mayonnaise, amen? Maybe that's just a me, I hate mayonnaise. But there'll be no more of these sin-filled things. There'll be no more death. There'll be total transformation because the king is coming. And he talks about what we can expect, what we can long for, what we can hope in as the promise in verse 13. It says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Hey church, let let me for a second remind us what we're waiting for. Revelation 21 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So they had gone through this purifying flame we've been talking about. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, Jesus, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God And listen to this promise, it's coming. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he, Jesus, who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. He's not making making broken things whole again. He's making dead things alive and, and, and old things new. This is the promise that we get to hold on to. Our Jesus, our King is returning and righteousness will dwell with God, meaning we will dwell with God in perfect harmony. So this is the Jesus that's coming back. So we walk like he's coming back tomorrow, but what does that mean? Practically, applicably, what does that mean for our lives today? Like how do we actually shift some things to be able to look at that? Luckily, Peter, I believe in the next couple of verses, gives us two different applications that we can apply to our lives today to begin to prepare for eternity better. Starts out in verse 14. It says, therefore, beloved, 
since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. There's these two parts to this verse. First, it says, be waiting. And the second is to be found without spot or blemish and at peace. Church, we need to walk today, walk daily like eternity begins tomorrow. We need to walk daily like eternity begins tomorrow. That's the first thing Peter is saying here. What does that mean? How do we walk? And I think it means this, slow down, slow down. We are in a culture, I'm guilty of it as just as much as you are, that um, we hurry and hurry and hurry and hurry and then hurry some more so we can get to a place and hurry, right? Like we hurry, we're hurriers and we like to get through life and our schedules are packed out to the minute from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed and we are, we are busy and we do things and we, we grind and we get things done and a culture tells us to hurry, 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 hurry so you can build up more and build up more and build up more. But can I tell you that when Jesus comes back, none of that's going to matter? Your kids' sports, they won't be there. Your schedule, it won't be there. Your family, it's not about that. Your, your time where you have to take out 15 hours of the week to play tennis, like that, not there. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about the throne of God. And it's going to be about who is joining with you to go with him. So this is what we need to walk for today. And I think the first thing that we can do to be able to do that is slow down and ask God, how can I walk for eternity today? There's two things that Peter says that we need to be found, how we need to be found when Jesus comes back. The first one is without spot or blemish. So that's the relationship between us and him. Well, what does that mean? What does without spot or blemish mean? Does that mean without sin? Of course not, right? Like, that's impossible. We can't do that. It's very clear. If you live, like, live with me for a day, ask my wife, clear, I can't do that one, right? So what, what do I do next? What is without spot or blemish? It doesn't mean without sin, but what it does mean is it means that when the Holy Spirit, when the Lord reveals something to you that is sinful, that is in your life, that isn't of God in you, and you begin to instead repent from it, run the other way, but instead you live complacent in it and become comfortable with it, and hide from the truth that God's given you, all of a sudden that's a spot. That's a blemish, right? And the way to fix that is to turn away from the things that we know are not of God in our lives and run towards holiness. It says without spot or blemish. The second one is at peace. And that means that that's the relationship of us with others. And, And so, hey, maybe there's some people that you have some bitterness in your heart against. And maybe there's some people that you have some um, unforgiveness, unresolved with. And, and Peter is saying, hey, one of the steps you can take to begin to walk today like Jesus is coming back tomorrow is forgive them. Find a way to forgive them. Talk it through. Maybe you need to send a text out today, make a call today, schedule a coffee today, or just forgive somebody in your heart and say, you know what? I, I've been bitter long enough. Not anymore. Because Jesus forgives us. That is how we respond. We forgive others. Man, that's the first application point. The second one we found is in verse 15 and 16. It says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, 
which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And there are some things that are in scripture that at at surface level can be debated or hard to understand. And so what culture really wants to do, I think we've probably all noticed this, is they want to take what could sound like could be scripture and make it something else, right? What they want to do is they want to tell us things that we're like, Okay, yeah, I guess God could be about that when the truth is that the Bible's clear that, it's, that he's not, right? What Satan is really good at is turning scripture, God's own words to get out of context to make us run to sin instead of Jesus. We see him do it in the temptation of Jesus in the book of Matthew, right? He does this over and over again. And so what our charge to do is to, is to evaluate the truths that we're hearing by the word of God. In the early church, in the book of Acts, uh, they're met with this. They, they begin to learn that, oh, culture doesn't necessarily love that I'm following Jesus. And so what does culture do? It's going to twist the words of God to make me be able to be comfortable in the middle, even when it's not biblical. And so do you know, I know how they respond? Acts 17, 11, it says that they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. See, as people of Jesus, we should daily examine scriptures to see what is true. This is the reason we read our Bible. Yes, it's to connect with God, but also it's to evaluate all the things we hear because, gosh, the Lord knows we hear a lot of things, right? On social media, on the news. But what we're hearing is that we need to test it by this word. People of Jesus should daily examine scriptures to see what is true. See, some of us, we think that the pastors that we see on CNN and Fox News, that's the truth. It's not. Some of us think the TikTok influencers that we see that talk about the Bible, that's truth. It's not. Right? The word of God is what we need to daily examine to see if the, what we're walking in is truth. So the two things that, that, Paul, that Peter encourages us with is to walk today like eternity is coming tomorrow and to slow down and also to daily examine scriptures to see what is true. And Peter closes this out in verses 17 and 18. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I want to close by asking you this question. How do you want to be found by Jesus? How do you want to be found by Jesus? If Jesus were to come back today, right now, in this moment, and you were to look at the way that you're living for him, the way you're living in light of eternity, how your schedule looks and your priorities look and the things you talk about look and the sin that you're walking in or repenting from, like, are, are you excited for Jesus to discover that? Are you excited for Jesus to expose that? How do you want to be found by Jesus? Do you want to be found stuck in sin, stuck in darkness, stuck in complacency, prioritizing other idols? Or do you want to be found by Jesus? And when he returns, you know that you are living every day in light of him returning. 
when you know that you're intentionally slowing down and finding people to tell about Jesus and doing life with people and being someone who's known for the way that they forgive and being someone who's known for the joy that they bring and being someone who's known for the witness that they talk about the gospel with, how do you want to be found? Now, I can tell you this, if, if you don't know Jesus as king yet, if you haven't surrendered to him as king yet, then that's the first thing you need to change because he is a king. He's the king and he's coming back. And we don't get to control timing, but what we do get to control is our response and how we walk. And he, and he wants you. And I can tell you that when he come, returns, it's gonna be way better for you to be found as a son or a daughter than as a stranger. He loves you. He wants you. He died to have a relationship with you.